And the scripture says that Caleb had a different spirit about him. And I believe that was true of Joshua as well, that there was something different about these men. And the reason why I like Joshua so much is because he had to follow Moses. And that was no mean feat. You think of Moses, like the guy that parted the Red Sea, the guy that led the Israelites out of Egypt, you know, that one of the most incredible men in Scripture. And he had to be his successor. He had to fill his shoes. And that tells you something of what this man was made of, that he was able to take up that role and responsibility. Like it's easy to take on someone's role when they've made a mess of it because you'll look good. If someone's done such a wonderful job, it sort of can only go downhill, can't it? So for him to step into that mantle of authority over over 2 million people and lead them and guide them, we're talking about a people who were Bedouin. They were nomads walking in the desert. They were about to become people that had to be warriors and fight. It was no mean feat what Joshua took on. And we know the story of Jericho, where they marched around the walls seven times by faith, and on the seventh time they screamed at the top of their voices and the walls just collapsed. And they went in and they took the land. There's a story in the book of Joshua about one man called Achan. When the Israelites went into the promised land, into the land that God gave them, he said, don't take any of the possessions of the people that live there. Don't covet them, don't steal them, destroy everything. And one man called Achan thought, hmm, I like what I see. I'm going to keep some of this treasure. And he buried it in the floor of his tent. And the next time the Israelites went out to war, they got defeated. And a number of people were, were killed unexpectedly. And, and what Joshua did was went to God and said, God, something's not right. You promised us that we'd have victory and we lost. What's wrong? And God said, there's some sin in the nation. You need to rout it out. You need to find it. So they went through all the tribes and got to the tribe of Judah, went through the tribe of Judah and got to this clan, got to the clan, got to the family, got to the family and said, what did you do wrong? They had to expose the sin of a man called Achan and the whole nation of Israel took that family out into the desert and stoned them and burnt them for their sin. So significant was one man singing in the context of a, of a community. But Joshua had the courage to deal with it. Now, that's no easy thing to do. That was a tough thing to do. But when we look at Joshua and who he was, he's really a model of spiritual warfare. He was a man of conquest. He was a conqueror. And when we think about Jesus, we often see him as the, the man in the robe with the sandals. But the risen Jesus is a warrior. He's a conqueror. He's conquered sin and death, and he's going to come one day with the armies of heaven and restore this world to its proper order and context. And we see in Joshua a whole lot of Jesus because he was a man who fought with the sword, but he also fought with the standard of integrity and righteousness and morality. And he was an incredible man of faith. What Joshua did was took his whole nation into the promised land and took possession of it. He took the inheritance that God had promised them and he enabled that nation to fulfill its destiny. And that's a moral for us, to take what God has given us and possess it and to live in such a way that we live as conquerors, as victors in this world. And sometimes we've got to fight for what's right and what's good. 
What's that old saying? For evil to prevail, all it takes is for good men to do nothing. Joshua had a standard, a righteous standard, and it came at a great cost, but he was willing to pay the price for that. So I want to share two things about Joshua, the man today. I believe he was a man of incredible faith. There's one story in the, in, in, in the life of Joshua that really signifies this. This is the story, and forgive me if I get some of the names wrong. Now, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken the city of Ai and had totally destroyed it, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and had become their allies. He and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city, like one of the royal cities. It was larger than Ai, and all its men were good fighters. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, approached, appealed to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lashish, and Deber, king of Eglon. If you laugh, you can come and have a go. <laughs> come up and help me attack Gibeon, he said, because it... It has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon, joined forces. They moved up with all their troops and took up positions against Gibeon and attacked it. The Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us, because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So Joshua and the Israelites came up from Gilgal with their entire army, including all their best fighting men. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Horon and cut them down all the way to Ezekah and Makedah. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Ezekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them and more of them died from the hail than they were killed by the swords of the Israelites. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Son, stand still over Gibeon, and you moon over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. Let me encapsulate that story. There was a battle going on and Joshua knew that he was running out of time to defeat the enemy. So he had the faith and the courage to say, God, in front of the whole na nation, son, stop, stand still. Now, I'm not a mathematician, but I know that when you go back through history and try to calculate the seasons and the times and the dates and the moons, there is one day out of whack. This day. Because Joshua said, son, stand still. Now, I, 
I'm a man of faith, but I don't think I'd get into a scenario like that and go, now, how do we get through this obstacle? I know. I'll just stand and declare, son, stand still. I stood on the beach in Queensland and said, Lord, part the sea. It didn't work. I've tried to walk on water. That didn't work either. But, but, but something in Joshua's knowledge of God and his, his awareness of God, he did a supernatural thing, but he did it very normally. That's, that's the beauty of this. Like it, it just came naturally to him that he would attempt to do something. Joshua was bold enough to ask God for the impossible to occur. I mean, we can label that what we want, radical faith or audacious faith or formidable faith. The fact is he asked God to do something that big. And yet the principle is that Joshua's request to defy the laws of nature is the same principle for any miracle that we ask God to do. Sun stand still or heal Cheryl? Which is greater? They're still defying the laws of physics and nature, aren't they? So the same principle applies. It doesn't matter the magnitude of the miracle because it's still defying the laws of this world and asking the kingdom of heaven to come and make a difference. We can do that. We can be just like Joshua. When we're in a battle, when we're fighting, when we're up against an enemy in our life, whatever that may be, we can call on God to do something impossible in our situation. He asked the sun to stand still. We've all got things in our life where we need, uh, need to ask God to do something like that to restore our marriage that's fractured and broken, to heal our family that's lost and you know living in the world, to heal a cancer, to do something miraculous. We've all got the capacity to ask God for a sun stand still prayer. Now, that's hard to say quickly. But the principle's the same in our lives. Just what Joshua did, God will seek us to do. Now, here's the thing. When we look at a guy like Joshua and we look at that story, it sort of speaks about the measure of his personal faith, doesn't it? That's what jumps off the page. He's a great man of God. And we look at him and we admire him and, and, and we contemplate how he would ask God to do something so extraordinary. But here's the thing. If it's impossible to please God without faith, then what Joshua did is actually the love language of God. It wasn't like God went, Joshua, how could you ask me to do something so ridiculous as make the sun stand still? I reckon God went, praise God, this guy's got some, he really believes this stuff. He asked me to make the sun, like he was talking God's language of love and communication. And I think God admires it when we do that. It's not like God goes, oh, you silly human. What are you doing playing games? He would have said, I reckon God's heart was going, you ripper, Joshua. You know, God listened to him because he had the tenacity or the audaciousness to ask God to do something ridiculous almost. But God did it. Why? Because he was willing to ask. You have not because you ask not. I think sometimes things don't happen because we go, oh, God could never do that. It's quite the opposite. God's waiting for us to have that boldness and to ask for those things. It's not like God's going to whack us with the stick and say, what, what, what sort of games are you playing? I think he, it pleases God when we exercise faith just the way that Joshua did. I think it excites God. I think it actually moves the hand of God. I think God's just waiting. 
He's just waiting. Like God threw hailstones down on him and killed half of them. You don't think God wants to engage? He wants to be in the midst of our battles in our lives. But he's sort of waiting for us to demonstrate that we get it, that we get this faith life that it's not just being about normal people doing normal things. We are ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And I believe God's waiting for us to defy nature, to defy this world and say, God, I believe you can do something. When we go and we pray for healing for someone, it's no different than asking the sun to stand still. It's still a miracle. It still requires faith. How much faith? Miracle to someone heal or miracle to stop the sun? I don't know. What we've got to know is that when we're in the will of God and we're doing what God wants us to do, we can call on him to intervene. We can call on him to do the miraculous and the powerful. Joshua was doing what God had called him to do so he could ask. He could ask with confidence. He could ask with boldness for God to step in. We need to activate a higher level of dependency and expectancy in the Lord as we live out his will and purpose for our lives. It's not standing up on a Saturday morning going, Lord, I don't have enough money in the bank. Lord, would you let me win Tats Lotto this week? Like that's a sun stand still prayer, isn't it? Especially if you haven't bought a ticket. But is that, are we walking in the will of God when we ask for those sort of things? No, it's more selfish, isn't it? It's more about my needs. But Joshua was on about leading his nation into the promises of God. Therefore, he could ask. It wasn't out of context. It was in the confines of what God had called him to do. It's a beautiful story. I love it. What would possess a man to ask God to stop the sun, sun in the sky? I love it. What would possess ordinary people from Officer and Pakenham and Berwick to ask God for something so much bigger than us? Faith and belief in God. So we've got to know God because when we know God, trusting in him to do those sorts of things isn't this great quantum leap because we've seen God do it in the past. Joshua had seen God do incredible uh, you know, miraculous things through his life. So to ask God to do one more wasn't a big stretch. And if we're living in that relationship where God is real in our lives and we're seeing God move and we're seeing miracles and we're seeing the hand of God in people's lives, then it's not a stretch to ask God. It will stir up faith. When we hear testimonies of people experiencing God and and having the courage and boldness to do those things, faith will build faith. We need to be people of faith. This world needs it more than anything else. We need to be people of faith. So that's the first reason why I love Joshua. Other reason is because when he sits in heaven and we're sitting on the porch having a beer or whatever we're doing, having a chat, I know that it'll be a long day because he can just say, Lord, we're enjoying this. Would you let the sun stand still? I'm just being silly. I just love this guy because he had the capacity to ask God for something really special. The second reason why I love Joshua is because he was a man of integrity and courage. Brad, would you put that song on for me, please, mate?
Thanks, Brad. There was a situation in the nation of Israel towards the end of Joshua's life where um, he gathered the whole of the nation together and he challenged them as a people whether they were going to do a half-hearted thing with God and mix up their faith in Yah- with Yahweh, their one true God of Israel, with all the idols in the land. And he sort of put a stake in the ground and said, who are you going to serve? Is it going to be God, the one true God, or are you going to dilute your faith down to something far less than what it should be? And in the front of the whole nation, he says, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. That's the choice I'm making for my family, for my wife and my children and his household. He made an incredible declaration. He was a man of honour and principle. And that's why I love Joshua more than any other man in Scripture. Because he understood the principle of faith being all about having a family that's in order. So many people claim to have a faith in God and yet their families are a mess. I'm sorry, your faith doesn't work because it begins in your own household. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. When there's compromise, when there's all sorts of things that happen in your family that dilute that, you are not leading your family the way that God charged you to. And Joshua had the courage to pick a fight with his own nation and said, I want to declare what truth is. I want to declare what is right in the sight of God. You need to serve God first and make a stand for your family. He was a man of great honour and principle. Our family is the primary proof of an authentic faith. That's why when Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, Timothy, if you want to choose a leader, look at his family first. His family will tell you whether he's a true man of God. His family will show you whether he's understood priorities and understood the principles of God. And what Joshua sort of basically said to everybody, is your house in order? Are you serving God first and foremost? Are you leaving a legacy for your children? Are you leading your family strong? And I believe what Joshua is really saying is that fathers and husbands should be the closest thing that our wives and our children ever see to Jesus. I don't want my four children to see Christ like men and not see that in me. That's hypocrisy. When my daughters talk about faith and manhood and integrity, they should be able to say about their dad, my dad was a man of honour and integrity. And the man that I saw standing, teaching on a Sunday morning was the same man I saw Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. It doesn't mean I'm perfect. But what they see in me should be integrity, integrity, honour and justice. And I should be able to live my life. If my faith is real, if my belief system in Jesus is true and authentic for me, it will manifest itself more than anywhere else in my relationship with Cheryl and my family. And if I don't have that right and pure and in integrity, I have no grounds on which to do anything else for God. I'm a hypocrite. It's got to come from our homes. And Joshua made a public declaration that his consuming passion was the pursuit of God. As for me and my house, I don't know what you're going to do. I'm going to serve the Lord. That was his choice in front of his whole nation. 
He was living with integrity under God. He was really saying that no other distractions, no other idols would come secondary to God. He didn't say, I'll serve God half-heartedly. He said, this is it. This is my life's mandate to follow God. I'm not going to get so consumed in my business or so consumed in my hobby or so distracted that God doesn't come first. As for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. I'll put a stake in the ground and serve that way. He was dedicating himself to take up the mantle of spiritual headship over his family and to lead them in the ways of God. Now, that takes a man with a lot of spiritual backbone to do that because it's not just something that you say. You've got to live it out over a lifetime. And Joshua, we know, did that. We've got the proof. I love it because personally he was committing himself to live a model life of integrity and righteousness. As for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. He was a standout figure in a nation that we know from the book of Judges coming after Joshua's time that they just disintegrated. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. But Joshua said, no, I'm going to serve the Lord. He put that stake in the ground and determined to live out his life as an example and influence over his household no matter what everyone else chose to do. We need more men like that in this nation. We need more men like that in our churches. Men that don't play games with God. Men that put their family first and foremost, put God first and foremost. This is what I think Joshua was really saying. He was committing to love and serve his wife with dignity, respect and to treat her as his own flesh. We need more men to stop avoiding taking up the true mantle of a husband to rise up and lead their wives. Your wife should know, men, that you love her more than anything else and that you are committed to her, that you are dedicated to her, that she is your princess. If she does not know that, you are failing. She should be the object of your affection and she shouldn't have to ask. She should know that. You are men of God with a spiritual backbone. That is your number one mandate. She is your helpmate. She is one flesh with you. And to treat her anything, any other way than being your prized possession is short of God's standard. I know that sounds heavy and hard, but it's true. And until we as men wrestle with that and come back to loving our wives like that, then what are our children seeing? Are they seeing the way that we talk to our wives as something that they can replicate and reproduce? Or do they see the fighting and the division and, and the absent father? What do they see when they see the interaction between a husband and a wife? It's got to be an example of how Christ loved the church. And he was willing to lay down his life. And I believe as men, we need to raise that standard up and hold it up high. Is it easy? No, it's not. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. Because the world thinks that you can talk about your wife however you want and you can treat her like a sexual object and, you know, she's just your slave in the kitchen. That's all right. If you can get away with it, good for you. That's not God's standard. God's standard is that person was purposefully given to you by God for you to give them the very best of your life. 
when the day you stand at that altar, and I pray that you've stood at an altar, because if you haven't, you're not honouring that person. Don't live out of wedlock. Get married and do the godly thing. And stand with that woman and dedicate yourself to her and to your family that will come. And live out that life with righteousness and purity. Men of God, we've got to stand. We've got to raise up a standard. And it starts in our homes with our wives. And then it trickles down. You know, I'm I'm sad to say that in a lot of Christian families, I see men that dominate their wives, sort of lord it over them. Like their their mandate as a man of God is is to be the ruler and authority over all things. <laughs> We're not. They're our partners. They're our they're our prized possession, and we've got to love them with an incredible love. Treat them with the utmost respect, and not forfeit our responsibilities. So many Christian women that are that are having to rise up and do things that their men should be doing. Because we forfeited. We've gone, oh, I'm too busy at work to, I know the kids are sick. Well, um, you know, I've got work. No, we're the spiritual heads of the home. God's given us a gender-specific role and responsibility. We cannot forfeit that to our wives. It's not their role and responsibility. God didn't wire them up to, to have that pressure and burden. That's ours to carry. And being the father figure over a family is tough stuff. But it's true faith. It's represented in that. So our love relationship with our wives has got to be special, guys. It's got to be intimate. It's got to be sincere. It's got to be pure. It's got to be steadfast. Can't just have a lovey-dovey moment for one week of one month of one year. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. You're setting the example to your own life. You're proving your faith. You're proving your love for your wife. It's so important that we don't do that. We need to be committed to our children, not be absent fathers that are consumed by work, but to be actively nurturing and training our children in the ways of God. We've got to give our sons, our boys, a godly man to follow his example. We've got to have that. Our, our, our young men have got to see in us fathers something to, to, to what? To, to follow. You know, when John raises his little boys, they're going to be looking at him saying, I'm going to be just like Dad. Well, if Dad's not the man of God, what, what are they going to follow? We've got to be men of integrity. We've got, to, we've got to be fathers that our boys can say, I'm proud to be just like Dad. I want to be just like Dad. And we should be able to say, son, I'm not perfect, but I hope that you do. I hope that you follow in my footsteps. And men, you know, if you've got daughters... Boy, your responsibility there in this day and age is greater than I think ever before. We need godly men who show our daughters how, to, how they should be treated themselves through the way that we treat our wives. They should be saying, I want a husband just like dad. If I get one as good as dad, I'm happy. Not quite right, is it, Chef? <laughs> Maybe without the mullet or something. <laughs> but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That, that's a bold statement because with it comes the decision-making process and the application of living that life out. And it's tough. It's tough in this, that, this day and age. That's why so many people are failing because it's a battle and Joshua was a warrior and you've got to fight for what's right and true. And we've got to fight for our families, men. Stop wimping out. 
Stop doing it the wrong way, the half-hearted way. Put a stake in the ground and do it God's way and do it with integrity and do it with purity because there's nothing more... There's nothing more that this world needs to see than families that are knitted together in purity and in cohesion and harmony and in Christ-likeness because there's so much fractured stuff going on out there. There's so much legalism and tradition. We need men to lead their families and to lead them strong and to lead them pure. There's too few good men. I've got two daughters that want to get married. And everywhere they go, they just say, Dad, all these boys, they're, just, they're not men. You know, they, they talk about being Christians and yet, you know, they compromise all the time. Or, you know, they're at the dance club on Saturday night, then they're in church on Sunday morning. It's like, you know, it, it, where are they? That's the, their cry. We've got to raise up that standard. That's what Joshua asked. And that's a question only we ourselves can answer. I remember in, going back now, 1994, Steve Grace sings a song called Men of God We Stand. And uh, the words of that song are along the lines of um, that God has given a responsibility and a role and an authority for men to lead, to lead their families to leave their wives and to leave their children. And I realised at that point in my life that I had forfeited my responsibilities. And I made a decision back then that even though it was going to be a long journey and it's still going, that I was going to turn that around and I was going to take up the role and responsibility that God asked me to do. And I'm never sorry that I've made that decision. Have I made mistakes? Yeah, sure, I've made plenty. Have I felt like a hypocrite because I've, you know, I'm going to do this and then I've failed? Yep, but I have endeavoured. I have endeavoured in my heart to do the best I can for my family, for my wife and my children. And that's my encouragement to you today, men. We've got a really tough responsibility on the table because our wives need us. Our wives need to know what true love is. They need to know that they're special. And our kids need us. Our kids need us engaged in what's going on. They need us to be those father figures that are leading the way. I believe, men, when you love your wives like Christ loved the church, you'll get so much more back than you ever expected. And when you put that investment into your children, it will reap a legacy, not just for your lifetime, not just for your lifetime, but for generations to come. You are setting a trend for which there will be ramifications either positive or negative in years and years and years to come. I don't know if anybody saw on YouTube recently, there was a, a father giving his daughter away at the altar and he came up to the front and uh, he spoke to the groom before he handed his daughter over. And it's a beautiful thing if you've seen it on, on um, YouTube because what he was really saying to this young man was, um, I've been working pretty hard for about 22 years to get this girl to be where she is today. And he was sort of saying, I asked her, I asked, Lord, make her like her mother. And he did. God made her just like her mother. And he talked about uh, her mother's qualities. 
And he said, Lord, make it just like me. And he talked about all his positive and negative qualities. And then he said, Lord, make it just like you. And he then shared with that young man all the qualities of his daughter that he saw were Christ-like. And then he just said, so I'm giving her to you today. Don't stuff it up. (laughs) It was great, but the, the authority and the power of that man to be able to stand there and say, I've done my very best to nurture and shape and mold and fashion and role model and give an example, now I'm giving her to you to take on that baton, that role and responsibility. We need that in this nation more than anything is for men of God to stand standing on their authority, living out their lives in such a way that their families are in order. That's why I love Joshua. He got the big things. He got the little things right as well. Sometimes those little things are far harder to get right. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for manhood. I want to thank you for the men of this church and for the great qualities I see in their lives. Lord, today is not about condemnation. It's not about tearing them down. It's about encouraging them to go stronger and harder for the things of God. Lord, I thank you that so many of us can look to our left and right and see the many blessings that you've given to us with a wife and, and, and children. Lord, they're our most precious things that you've given to us. Father, sometimes I think we need a bit of a shake-up just to realise the good things God has given us are sometimes right under our nose. We get busy or we get distracted, but Lord, as men, remind us today to serve you and to, and to be the leaders of our household with integrity and with purity and with honesty and to live out our faiths in the most authentic way that we can. Father, I pray for each man here today that you would renew their passion for their wives, that, Father, they would just see their wives in an increasing light of the beauty and the gift that they have been given, and that, Father, they would love them and that they would serve them and that they would give the very best that they are to their wives, nothing less than that, to be their champions, to be their knights in shining armour, to be their protectors, to be their nurturers, to be their providers. Father, I pray that our men would raise up a standard in their own hearts, but amongst one another, to keep each other accountable, Lord God, to live out our lives and get our houses, our backyards in order. And Father, I pray for our men today that you would help them. Help them to be the best fathers that they can be. Lord, just as you father us, help us to father our children and to to love them through the tough times and, and Lord, to teach them your ways and to teach them how to avoid the pitfalls of the world and to love them and to hug them and, and just bless them in the way that we live out our lives. Father, there's so many pressures on the lives of men, but we cannot forfeit our right and privilege to be the men of God over our families. So, Lord, today, if there's things that we need to set right, then let us make a stand. 
Let us determine afresh today to get those things right that are out of order, to do it the right way and to do it your way, and to honour our wives by the integrity with which we live and to bless our children in the way that we conduct ourselves and the character that we display. Father, as husbands and fathers, we should be the closest thing our children and wives ever see to Jesus. Lord, make us more like you. Humble us. Teach us where we've become arrogant, Lord. Father, where we've made mistakes and, and served other idols or served things before you, Father, forgive us. Help us to come back and get things in right order and priority and to serve you with integrity. <coughs> Father, I thank you for these men. Thank you for the richness that I see in them. Thank you for the courage that I see in them. Lord, in their own heart and mind and spirit today, speak to them about what they need to do, where they need to change, where they need to grow, where they need to stand strong, where they need to continue doing the right thing. And I pray, Lord, where there's a spiritual backbone that's been bent by the busyness of the world or bent by the weight of the failure or bent by worries and anxiety or bent by sin. Father, today, you'd straighten that spiritual backbone that they would stand like Joshua did and say, as for me and my house, I can't change the past, but I know what I can do in my future. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So, Father, I want to bless the men of this church today. Thank you for them, Father. Thank you for the way that they work so hard to provide for their families. Thank you for the way that they seek to raise up a standard, the fact that they would even sit here today and listen to me challenge them. It speaks volumes of their character. Father, let us be more like you, I pray, and help us, Lord, help us set that standard. Help us be that example. We need that in our nation. We need that in this region more than anything else. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Man, I just want to give you a moment just to think. Think about how you want to respond today.